Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to introduce to you today, Miss Genesis Ameris Camp in the house. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. How are you? I love the fact that she has a book. It's called Chocolate Drop in America From the Pit to the Palace Bank. From the Pit, the pit to the Palace. Now, who does that remind y'all of? That reminds me of Joseph in the Bible, right? Yes. And now for my second guest. I'm a small business owner uh, just recently since April of 2019 uh, with my business partner, Jackie Crusado. So we are a um, MWBE small business licensed in the city of New York to provide training, technical assistance and support to, to other businesses, particularly organizations that are helping others. So we, we like to think of ourselves as the people helping the helpers. Um, and and what we came to you with is experience of, um, I have over 39 years in city government. Jackie spent uh, 25 years uh, doing health education programs on, on Rikers Island. I joined her 16 years ago and we created some models that um, basically follow what happens for people who look like me when they come out of hospitals or healthcare systems um, for the people coming home after incarceration. So we call that transitional care coordination. And the idea is to uh, make sure that people transition from one system to another um, with, a, with a hug in the middle. And so, um, but, but over that journey, I learned a lot about um, diversity in the workplace and, and trying to be an ally and, and working on my own um, issues around uh, white privilege and how to pay it forward. So the title of my book is called Chocolate Drop in Corporate, uh, in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. I wrote this book in two months and it came out this year in May. I wrote it out of, well, it started out of frustration with a note, um, with a note in my phone called Chocolate Drop. And it came out of just being told that I was never going to get out of the admin box, being told that even though I was doing the work of the of a professional per se, they weren't paying me as a professional. So for seven years while working for this particular Fortune 500 company, I was, you know, treated as an admin, ranked as an admin. Although I did a lot of stuff for the company, I traveled for for the company. I, you know, represented the company with our global distributors as well as freight forwarder. And I had a you know, company credit card. And if I was a true admin, like no one really has a, you know, a Amex card, they have a P card, they don't really travel on the company's dime. The car service doesn't come to your house and pick you up and take you to the airport. So I'm like, I'm doing all these things, but I'm not being rewarded or recognized for my effort. So chocolate drop in corporate America, pretty much takes you through my personal experiences that I endured while working for this company and me being an African-American woman, the only one on my team, you see a lot of stuff and you hear a lot of stuff and it makes you like question, okay, am I treated differently because the way I look or am I treated differently because my age or whatever the case may be? Cause I've always been the youngest person on my team. And a lot of times the only African-American person, African-American black, or like I like to say, chocolate drop on my on my team, and it and it's hard because like you're doing the same stuff as your colleagues, but then you're slighted, and it's like your pigeonhole. And then if you if you speak up, and you are a black or African American woman, they want to label you as aggressive. However, I feel like don't call me aggressive, like. And don't confuse like, you know, my passion and me being compassionate for aggressive. And I feel like saying aggressive is a form of microaggression. Definitely. There's no doubt. Exactly. No, tell me this. How did all that stuff make you feel? Like I was invaluable, like I was just a number to the corporation, um, a box for them to check and show to their shareholders that they are being inclusive and diverse. But what's the point of hiring um people 
that are diverse if you're not going to help them accelerate in their um, career and you want to keep them pigeonhole in a box. Well, well, let's get to the point of what the, the point, some kind of what the point of it is. It's all about money, right? You know, we got to have a certain amount of minorities and we can get a little money from that. Look, and I see my friend amping up there. Go ahead, speak on it, girl. <laughs> no, so so really it's, it's not that deep, right? The haves want to have and they want to keep the have-nots from having not because they think that if the have-nots have, that they'll have less, that there's somehow a ceiling in terms of what the wealth and power is in the country. What what people don't realize is that 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 wealth and power and structure and 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 support builds all of us. It it increases the economy, increases the wealth. It's a very narrow-minded way of thinking, and I think it's really um, not not born out of reason or rational. So the, the more you try to make sense of it, the more um, you wind up spinning in circles because the reality is that it's not, it's not about reality, right? It's about structural racism and it's, a, it's the history of our country that's impacting our daily lives in ways that I don't think are sustainable. It's certainly not a good economic system. It's not a good economic plan. And it's really just the wrong, the, the wrong thing to do just as a human person. Um, and we see it for for both women and black women, so and and, and black people, darker people, really, because the whole thing is just made up, right? Race is a made up construct. It doesn't. It's not. It's it's scientifically silly. And so and so, what we're talking about is really just Europeans coming here and deciding that everyone who looks like them should have, and everyone who doesn't should have not. Um, and and it just hasn't changed. It just hasn't changed. And I think, you know, two things about the times that we're in right now, which frankly make me sad, but on some level, um, maybe give me hope because people can't say any more to you. They can't say any more to you uh, legitimately that it isn't about race because we have too much evidence now. It's not even, it's not even, how would I say? Uh, this whole get over it thing, it was 200 years ago, is, is silliness because the reality is that it's there's structural racism throughout our systems of economics, our incarceration system, our policing system. There isn't, I've stopped calling it the justice, criminal justice system, because it's not just, right? What we have is a criminal legal system that, um, that highlights, in fact, puts a big circle around the disparities. So if you look in your local jails, it doesn't matter where you are in this country, you're going to find people of color overrepresented there. And that's not an accident. It's not an accident. That's structural. That's structural economics, that's structural education, that's structural wealth, that's structural housing, that's structural um, in every conceivable way. Yeah. But perhaps, right? It's not, this isn't, this isn't anything other than intentional. And sure. so, Right. So, so let me ask you, Genesis, you know, in with all that happening and you finding out those things, what are some things that you did to keep you in a place where you found out that, hey, I am valuable and, you know, and I'm not going to be frustrated forever? That, you know, what are some things that you learned to take care of you for your self care? So um, I prayed a lot, I journaled, I started networking outside of the company with allies. Um, I befriended someone on LinkedIn who has been like a really pivotal point. He's a older Caucasian male and we talk about, you know, open, open conversations. He's transparent. He's also the vice president of a particular company. And he gave me a lot of insight. We walk through like what compensation looks like for my particular role and how I should navigate those, com those conversations. Um, spent a lot of time with my family. I joined a group at at church it it was called the league so it was different women from all over the city of houston and you really just get together you do life together you talk about what's working what's not working and you help each other bridge the gap for the area that you may be struggling in or the area where you need to advance in or whatever and you build your your tribe and i think it's very important to determine who your tribe is and what your tribe stands for another thing that really helped me was, you know, taking the negative energy that I had and making it positive because spending time thinking about the negative 
energy is not helping me. Like if anything, it's causing my health to deteriorate. It's causing me not to be my whole self. Um, getting massages and just like, you know, that like going somewhere where I could just relax. And then I came up with my three R's, which are refuel, refocus and realign. And I think it's so important that you recognize whenever you're getting to a point of feeling burnt out and you have to take that power from someone else and apply it to yourself. Because once you know who you are, then no one can tell you or discount or discredit who you are, who you are. So it's very important to know who you are and not what you are, because so many times people want to label you as a what, and that's a form of confinement. That's also a form of keeping you in the box and trying to place limitations on you. And I feel like everyone has, you know, the ability to have a seat at, seat at the table. Everyone has the ability to soar and we are all created differently. But if we start to complement one another versus comparing ourselves to each other, then we would get so much further along in society, as well as, you know, a human race, whether it's in the workplace, outside of the workplace, or society as a whole. And I've never experienced so much social unrest, social injustice, political turmoil, and everything until, you know, a few years ago. And I'm not sure if it has a lot to do with who the president was, or I'm not sure if it has a lot to do with people being ignorant and just not educating themselves and being, you know, confined to a certain group. But I definitely feel like in order for you to grow and mature as a person, you definitely have to step outside of your box, step outside of confinement and put yourself in someone else's shoes. And if you're not sure how to do that, you need to educate yourself, whether it's listening to podcasts, watching movies, surrounding yourself with people who aren't, you know, the same color as you and definitely travel. And I, I would say I, you know, credit a lot of that to, you know, my parents, because I am first generation American and I've seen my parents come over to this country and had to work twice as hard, even though they had accolades behind them. But due to the color of their skin and the way that other people perceive them, it made it a lot harder. So I just said that, OK, I'm not going to be that passive woman. I'm not going to just sit down and be quiet whenever someone is telling me something that I clearly know is in, in, inaccurate, you know, and I deem myself a firecracker. I de <laughs> deem myself a person that could get with you whenever I need to. I could, you know, call you out on your bluff and, you know, I'm going to challenge you. And there's a way that you can challenge people respectfully without, you know, getting into a heated discussion. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I love everything that you say. <clears throat> I'm a little excited over here, right? <laughs> Um, so let me ask you this. Um, that the three R's, you said refuel, refocus, and rejuvenate. Is that correct? Realign. Realign. Okay. So I like that. Okay. And I just want to put this in the comments in case anybody comes back and they need to know. Because sometimes people are going through the same thing. Maybe it's not uh, racial related, but it's something else that makes them feel invaluable or something that makes them feel like they don't have a voice or they're not important or that makes them forget who they really are. And I think it's important that's to me, that's like the crust of all kind of problems is just remembering who you are. So for me, I'm a child of God. So when I make sure I align myself with that, like, look, this is who I am and this is what I have the ability to be and to do. And so when I just remember that and I focus on that, then like no matter what's going on around me, I still begin to soar. And um, yeah, and I just and I just watch the little buzzards just do what they do, and then I keep going and going higher and higher. <clears throat> so let me ask you this, <clears throat> because um, you know it's my the name of my show is Self Care Saturday for a reason. You know, I don't believe that you know we have to. Uh, I don't believe that we have to like bring up a subject. We complain about it for the sake of complaining. Like it's not about that. Like you were saying, you know, they sometimes you're deemed as somebody who is. Um, I forgot the word that you use, but pretty much like, you know, people say like, okay, so they just want to be a troubled person or, or loud mouth or whatever it is, but, or, you know, she's angry, she's frustrated, right? Aggressive. Right, exactly. But when we talk about self-care, it's like, what can we do for ourselves? And like, so you made a whole bunch of things in there. And I, I love that part of it. It's like, we're not just, we're not just uh, being aggressive or complaining, but we are taking responsibility and I love uh, the best part is surrounding yourself with a tribe, hashtag tribe, right? Because a lot of my tribe is on here and I love that. And so I got to give credit to um, 
uh, well, mostly Kathy Weaver, right? And so I kind of try to do that without crying. Because, um, she just means the world to me. She's kind of like my mom is not here anymore because she does a lot of watching out and like and, and never we're never around each other physically, but just kind of watching out. I would say in the spirit type of thing. So anyway, thank you, Miss Kathy. I appreciate you very much. But okay, going back to the show. Okay, so, <laughs> I see you want to jump in here, Allison. Go go for it, Allie. So I was just saying, so so I appreciate that refueling thing because it's um, it, I recently found Pilates, and and it's really been life changing just in terms of being able to manage simple tasks. I lost some weight on Weight Watchers, but I've done that a bunch of times, but I never moved. I was not a person who moved, and so and so I found it very. I find it like time for me, and even during the pandemic, we've been doing it virtually with the phone. So my Deb Fango and Pilates is super awesome. Um, but but remembering that you got to take care of yourself or you can't take care of others and uh, is I think it's it's really critical in, in this work. And then you'll see, I don't know if you were able to post uh, the website, www.acojaconsulting.com. Um, but I did have a conversation with Reverend Sutton not too long ago, and he said to me, he goes, Allison, well, you know, you live in this, I live in a very purple purple area um, in terms of the election, and so I can't actually get to the corner without crossing. Uh, well, they don't have MAGA masks, but they're walking the dog and they don't have a mask. And so, and so <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's the nature of, um, you know, fo following the schools, right? And so and so that privilege, you know, it, it, it's embedded. Um, and so, so, but, it, you know, I do what I, I do what I can and I'm continuing. This is part of my um, notion of trying to give back and um, I prefer pay it forward. But, but the, the issue is that if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't live to fight another day. And so this is, this is, this is, this is a marathon, not a sprint we're in. And as much as, you know, it would be nice if it was over in the 60s, it wasn't over in the 60s. And it would be nice if the Voting Act solved all the problems, but it clearly did not solve all the problems. And at least now, I think the only benefit to this race, the current election being so close and all of the, uh, the hate mongering that's going on is I think people are starting to get sick of it. I hope that people are starting to get sick of it and that, and that we can come out, you know, the other side stronger. Um, but it, but it's clearly we have a lot of work to do. Clearly, we have a lot of work to do, and and um, and I, I don't feel like um, people of color really should be responsible for it. I feel like people who look like me need to be, you know, open up and responsible for for um, making making a difference. Yeah. So, Allie, question there. So, how do you encourage people that look like you to do their role as being an ally and cause them to step up and also have them call out unconscious biases whenever they see it? Yeah. So, so I have to tell you, I was well trained at my mother's knee. She, um, she lived, her father was like Archie Bunker and her friends, uh, looked like you. She, they were, um, she grew up in the in the Bronx, and she was born in 1932, and they didn't leave there until she was in eighth grade. So that was in the middle of the 50s. So most, and then she went to CUNY, and so most of her friends did not look like her. And she is actually the whitest person you'll see because she has both um, lighter skin than I do and a lack of melanin. So really, she's she's probably the color of the. So, so she adds color because otherwise she goes, it would be scary. So, so, but what she taught me was that there's, you know, that there's good and bad in each of us. And that what happened to black people um, was, was just a series of lies that were, were done um, because of racism. I was taught that. And so I, I, and I wasn't taught love. I was, I, I wasn't taught hate. I was taught love. I was taught um, that. So, so when you start from that, that that was a privilege in itself, right? Having having that background, um, and then being able to pay that forward to my son and my goddaughter, who's um, her mother's from um, St. Vincent, and um, and so and so having oh yeah 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 you have you have similarities I have to tell you. Um, my mom is from St. Vincent. <laughs> yeah, so so my goddaughter's mother um, is a for, is first generation from St. Vincent, and and so in some way. Um, her name's Crystal. My goddaughter's Crystal. 
she, in some ways, you know, I was trying to explain to her mother about racism in the U.S. in similar ways that my mom explained to uh, the, the caregiver for my grandmother, who was from Jamaica. And so the island moms did not really understand the U.S. system of, of inequity because th that wasn't their culture there. Like there was a, there was a, I would say there's a, a pigment bias, but it was, it, it's a more subtle. Um, and, and so when things were said like, um, oh, I don't think he should marry her because we, we marry lighter. That's, that's, that was uh, Jamaican. So, so it's, it's embedded in lots of cultures, but in different ways here, it's much more overt and obvious and, and impacts across all systems. So what I do um, in social work school, they teach you a premise called positive use of self. So, so that to me is being an ally. And so, and so those, those skills of, of being in a social work or a helping profession are, are what I use to try to um, make awareness. So my mom, I'll give you an example. So my mom plays bridge <laughs> in the country club with her friends and they all chip in for the dinner. And then um, they'll say things and she'll say, now, you know, I'm liberal. And do you really want to have that conversation or are we going to have a pleasant round of whatever? And then she listens, she listens. And so my favorite one, she told me, I'm sure it happens every conversation she has, but the one she told me that I remember that, that I think was, so, so there was a Catholic, they're all uh, Catholic. And, and the woman said that her, you know, her kid had gotten pregnant and then had the baby and then they were finishing out college and then they were going to get married, which is not in the order of the church's preference. Mm -hmm. And, but they were helping them and helping them get started and they were accepting their kids in having this in having this um, order of life that was not consistent with what they would prefer, right? And so my mother said, isn't that nice that you were so accepting of your children who didn't follow the Catholic teachings to the letter? Huh. Like you can have empathy for someone who doesn't do things the way that you do. You don't have to blame people because they had children out of wedlock in the ways that you would say that if you were talking about a person of color. And just without being, how would I say, confrontational about it, but pointing out their behavior in a way that maybe gets them to think. So that's, that's just one example. I mean, I'll say things to folks like, Oh, so correction officers is another example. So uh, correction officers very often come from the same communities that the incarcerated do. And so you'll have a lot of black and, black and brown men and women who are the, are the officers. They don't like when you call them guards because it diminishes their role, frankly, as to what it should be. And so, so it's all kinds of lingo. But so when the officers are saying, oh, you know, I grew up in the same neighborhood as that guy, but I, I came out okay. Like I did, I did okay. And I didn't wind up behind bars. And so I said, so who helped you? Oh, nobody. I pulled myself by, up by my bootstraps. I'm like, oh, you had boots. And so we laugh. And I said, but no, seriously. So, so how did you learn to read? How did you have one of those? Oh, well, I used to go home after school with my friend and his mom would give us snacks and help us with our homework. And I say, so I wonder what it would be like for you. Like what would have happened to you if that kid and his mom weren't in your life? And then you start to plant little seeds of people to think that maybe I did have support that I'm not recognizing. Maybe I did have privileges because of the color of my skin that I'm not recognizing. And so it is, that's why I say it's a long, I think it's a long-term process. I don't think there's any quick fixes and I don't think the work is going to be easy, but I think it is necessary. And I'm hoping now it's more obvious that it's necessary. That's my prayer today. So Genesis, what are, what are some things that you found you know, you would like to see done in the workplace as far as uh, equality and diversity and how to implement those things. I would like to see different ERGs, which are um, employee resources groups coming together as one group versus having 
separate ones because when you have separate ERGs, like you have one for the for the blacks and the African Americans, you have one for the Asians, you have one for the Hispanic. I think that's creating a segregation in the workplace because only those groups of people are talking amongst themselves. And I feel like as a minority, we all share some commonalities of things that happen in a workforce, especially if you're in a workforce that is predominantly Caucasian or the good old boys. Like I, for example, I work in oil and gas. So you see a lot of good old boys. You see a lot of nepotism, a lot of favoritism and a lot of sexism. And I feel like they, they created those groups, you know, not holistically, but they created them just to say, okay, we're going to support you. But if you're really not bringing everyone together and seeing what the common thread and the theme is, are you really supporting us? Because we can talk to someone that looks like us all day, but is that person in a position to be influential? Is that person in a position to have a seat at the table? to have the heirs of a shareholder, to have the heirs of upper upper management and et cetera. So one thing that I challenge other people to do is like I join cross ERG. So I'm part of an African-American ERG, but I'm also part of, you know, a Latino one because, you know, my dad is from Curso. So that's part of South America um, in a sense. And then I, I'll join, you know, the Asian group because I have friends that are Asian and I want to see what their common theme is. Like, who is their th- their tribe? How are you? How are you guys handling the systemic racism in the workforce? Another thing I did was um, after the whole Black Lives Matter movement, the VP of our supply chain department, you know, he brought all of us together. And when I say all of us, the few of us that identify with Black or African-American, I kid you not, it was less than 20 people in a global supply chain organization, which is almost like a slap in the face. Then he went around the table virtually and called on each person to speak up. And whenever he called on me, by that point, I was already just so flabbergasted and I was just so done with the company that I just, you know, summarized what my issues were and how I personally felt working for this company. Like I felt like, you know, they didn't see me. I felt like I was invaluable. I felt like I was meeting the KPIs, which are key performance indicators, meeting the metrics, but then you guys were treating me worse than some people treat a dog or a cat in the street. And so after I spoke up so boldly and advocated for myself, I kid you not, a week later, I got a 20% salary increase. So you can almost imagine that it's a slap in the face because I've been doing this particular role I'm in now for the past three years. So for the past three years, I've been underpaid by 20%. And that is a big pay gap. And you see that a lot with, you know, African-Americans and minorities in certain industry. There is a pay disparity and there's also a an age gap. But if you keep promoting managers and supervisors that are continuing to practice bad behavior and, you know, they have a form of racism, they're not trying to learn or be any better, then how is that changing the narrative? Okay. So you hit a, you hit a couple of spots. I want to ask you some things about, so you, you hit the thing about how is that learning, you know, the learning, how, mm-hmm. how do you teach somebody that doesn't want to be taught or doesn't recognize that they need to be taught? Okay, because this is the way it's been forever. So why should we change mm-hmm. to make somebody else comfortable? What do you say to that? So, so what I what I say to that is that that we're better when we're more diverse. That the diversity mm-hmm. of thought will improve your bottom line. And so I'm not telling them to do it for the right reasons because they're not that. I don't think they're going to hear that. But but if if you have diversity at all levels, then you have diversity of thought. If you have diversity of thought, then you have a wider audience for your product, then you have a greater ability to supply whatever it is that you're doing because you're reading, you're reaching larger markets. And so, and so I, you know, I, sometimes we just got to flip it on them, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And, okay. So let me ask this question because you brought up the word thought. Um, it's in, like you and I were talking earlier and I said, sometimes it seems like there's two different languages going on in the same conversation. Like I, maybe I'm speaking Chinese and the next person is speaking English or vice versa. So have you all found a language that speaks to, you know, someone that is European or that is has white skin? Maybe they're not necessarily just Caucasian, but that has white skin and or a person of power, period, that they understand. Because my my language I see they understand is when you put it in writing in black and white, then you mm-hmm. understand that. Or when there's a video, because 
nobody can lie because the video ain't gonna lie. I mean, I think documentation is important. I think it's also though um, per, the persuasion, right? And so, and so, I think you actually have Genesis a very compelling story, which is that you you have had disparities that are documentable. Frankly, you, you probably have a lawsuit, though. I don't know if you'd want to spend your energy on it. Um, just just because you know you could go to them, like it, 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 as you did, to say, listen, I've been doing this work. These, these people have these same tasks. I'm making this amount of money. Although, frankly, it might be more powerful if you were to be able to bring it to someone like me, and then I'm the one that's explaining it. Because if I'm explaining it and you're not explaining it, and I am, I'm going to use different words that they're going to hear in a different way. Because I'm going to say, so here's the question. Do you want to raise her salary now to an equitable level, or do you want to wait for the lawsuit where she does a class action and then you're going to have to pay everybody all at once. Or would you rather we do this in a way that's reasonable and responsible? And sometimes they'll flip that around and they'll hire a diversity officer as a token, mm -hmm. as opposed to having a really um, uh, inclusionary process. And I, I think we're, we're going to have to look at some legislative solutions too, in, in terms of, of, of what, what diversity looks like and what disparity looks like um, in terms of inequities. But, but, it it so I I've always worked from within the system to make change and so so when I got it was I was I was sharing earlier today um, with Tracy when I when I got to correctional health for for the city of New York the people on the, the let's just say the the lower level positions and and strata as you're as you're defining were all black and brown people even the intermediate supervisors were were lighter skin, maybe Latino, right? And then you had, and then you had all the whole top floors were all um, white and Asian. And, and, so, and so when I got there, there was a lot of um, people who looked at me and thought I was, it made assumptions about the way I thought that I had to demonstrate were not the way I thought. And so by promoting from within, right? So when I left, the person who I left to succeed me is a woman of color from the South. Her partner is, is a woman of color from the South. The gentleman that was in charge of the Lion Way program is from a black man from Jim Crow South. We were looking for a Latina to run the outreach program. So, so we did that in an intentional way. Um, and then I shared with my um, the people I was leaving as my exit interview for them that they needed to do a better job at having diversity at all levels. I had hired... Um, some young uh, college graduate, women who look like me, progressives from um, women's college, and don't know, they're the ones that got selected by the higher-ups to be promoted from within, and all the women that had, who look like you, who had more experience but didn't have the same education level, uh, traditional education, I would argue, the non-traditional education far surpassed anything that they would have, that, that they wound up I wound up with no white people on the entry level jobs again. And so it was a constant, I had to constantly recruit to backfill the positions with the young white chicks and, and the black women continued to remain without, without promotions or, 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 you know, positions. So, so unless I did it. Right. And so I pointed this out to the people when I left, they said, well, you know, there's not people that have medical degrees who, who, who are people of color. They're not people who have nursing degrees and they, these are qualifications that you you know you need to provide medical care. So I'm like, so what are we going to do about it? So now you've identified the problem. My question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to mentor some? some uh, we have um, health career connections. There's a woman, Kara, uh, uh, her last name's gone out of my head, but health career connections. And what they do is they provide. You know, there's that good old boy network you talked about, <laughs> and. Um, she's combating that by setting up through Montefiore Medical Center um, first opportunities for first-generation college students. So, so they're entry-level college students who don't can't make a phone call like the the young lady from Mount Holyoke did and call her father and have her father call somebody and get a and get a summer internship for free because she doesn't need money because her daddy's going to pay or has her roof. So what Cara does is she has internships for first-generation college students. So they're not saying that you have to be black or African-American. It's not a racial thing. It's an access thing, right? right? 
So as a result, it's a diverse group-ish, but many more people look like you guys than me. Now, what they do is they, I paid as, um, as, a, as an employer, $5,000 for the summer, which is nothing, honest to God. They get an internship experience and a trip to Washington, D.C., because many of them have never been to the nation's capital. They get mentorship, and now they've had an opportunity that they can put on their resume, like the girl from Mount Holyoke had four, because each summer she had a different job. So she had a very robust resume when she left Mount Holyoke because she had connections. So all I'm saying is it's not going to be the same. It may not be parity, but at least it's a start. It's something that we can do. It's easy as pie to do. And so I would encourage companies to use an organization like Health Career Connections and say, why wouldn't you do that? Even my own company, they're like, well, why would I pay for interns if I can get them for free? It's like, because you want to have a diverse workforce and you want to pay it forward. That's why. Because if you don't, your company's going to stagnate and you're not going to be attracting talent that is going to be the most responsive talent to the people that you're serving. Because you say you want staff to be reflective of the of the community that you're serving that means you have to do something in order to facilitate a workforce that looks like the people you're serving and earlier you mentioned a buzzword that a lot of companies hire um, diversity coordinators or whatever they're called and i saw a lot of that happening after the whole george floyd incident right. and i felt like companies were only doing that as a clout to show okay we're supporting the whole BLM. We're supporting Black Lives Matter movement and we're going to hire someone so we could do a better job. Well, you already knew you had a problem, but now you're trying to clean up clean up house so you can prove to your shareholders what you're doing to become part of the solution. When in reality, if you really want to become part of a solution, have you went to some of the poverty areas that minorities live in? Have you tried to get a grocery store there? Because there's a lot of communities that don't have grocery stores. So how can these people have the proper nutrition level if they don't have a means to get adequate food supply? Have you looked at transportation system? Okay, you guys want to talk about, okay, we're really helping the black and brown people. But if you ban Metro or whatever transportation from coming into your neighborhood because you are afraid of riffraff coming in, then are you really helping the black and brown community or are you just, you know, keeping them segregated and, you know, in a predominantly area where, you know, work is going to be scarce because there's so many of them that live in that area because they aren't afforded to go outside of that area. Or are you just going to chunk some cash to an organization and say, hey, we supported black people. Yay, go us. When in reality, you know, you're going to get a tax write-off anyways. So are you really supporting them? Right. And well, I feel I like... That's why I think the real change has to happen from within as opposed to these sound bites and bumper stickers that, that really large organizations, government organizations, big businesses have to have to want to see this change happen for reasons. So so I would encourage you, uh, or, you know, I might have encouraged you, don't, don't just ask for the 20%. Ask for the 20% and... A committee on, you know, how do we advance from within? How do we pay it forward? How do we so so that you're not just and honestly, this shouldn't be your this shouldn't be your gig. I'm just I'm just I'm just my, my personal opinion is that this needs to come from people like me, not mm-hmm. you know, because I, I think it, it, it's it's counterintuitive to think that that you're going to be able to solve solve this problem. Yeah, it's like it goes in one ear and out the other because they haven't been taught how. You know, to be inclusive and diverse, they haven't been educated on what African American people go go through. But maybe if they walk a day in our shoes, then maybe they will understand it a little bit better. But if you're not willing to go through that process of understanding and, you know, seeing a holistic view, then I think you should just stand back. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a big it's a, it's a big fight. I mean, the thing. The thing to me is that I think we need to have um, anti-racist collaboratives with primarily people who look with with a diverse group of people. And then we need to help one another and figure out who is the best, um, who is the best communicator of the message given who we're trying to message. Right. And, and, and I think Chris Rock had a really good point on Trevor Noah the other night to say, we need to know what the ask is. Right. So is the ask, like, I want you to make reparations for the fact that you haven't been 
giving me the value that I'm worth? Or are you just going to give me a bumper sticker of a 20% raise to keep me quiet? Are we going to have a conversation about why is it that I'm the only person who looks like me in my position or, and, and do something about that and, and provide internships for people in communities? Or are we going to just, you know, do the bumper sticker thing? Because one thing will change and the other thing won't. And so are we really interested in being inclusive or not? And, and when you ask them that question, they'll, they'll say one thing to you and they'll say something else to me. Yeah, and then it's funny that you say that because I feel like as a black and brown person, a lot of times we have to code switch in order um, to survive the industry that we're in, whether it's corporate America, whether it's the medical industry or whatever industry you're in. You have to talk a different way and you have to act a certain way in order for them to accept you. But if you were to ask a Caucasian person or a person that looks like you, hey, what what are you doing to change the fit in? They're like, oh, nothing. And whenever they say nothing, then you see that's a problem and you see that the white privilege is a mercy. And then whenever you bring that point up, they're like, oh, no, like, no, I really don't see it that way. I don't know why you're seeing it that way. And then you're and then you're dealing with the Karens of the world. And I hate to say the Karens of the world, but. I actually feel like, you know, my supervisor that I have now acts just like a Karen of the world. She always wants to talk about politics. She always wants to tell me like, you know, oh, you're not going to be able to compete professionally or whatever the case may be. And I feel like, okay, I'm here making you look good. My peers have given you feedback on the things I'm doing, but you're just so confined to the way that you see things that you're discrediting me. And all that's doing is pushing a talented person out of the organization. And whenever that person leaves, then they want to have an exit interview. Hey, why are you leaving the company? Well, why not leave? Like, what have you done for me since I've been here besides give me a paycheck? Sure, having a paycheck is good because it puts food on the table. But if I'm not really soaring and I'm not really, you know, accelerating as fast as fast as those other people, I don't feel like... Um, that I have been just working here. I feel like, you know, you guys take, you guys took advantage of me just to prove something on paper. Yeah. So, okay. so let me jump in there just a second, because I want to know this perspective too. Because, <laughs> um, so, because we can kind of go all day along with this right here, but I want to know your perspective on, because uh, especially your genesis as a younger person, how do you see? <laughs> Well, I have to bring it up. I mean, it's true. Um, and so I'll tell you why it's true. I, I'll tell you what qualifies me for this question is that when I was uh, 25, 24, 20, 23 or 24, I worked for a company and that I was done the same way. I had to train, you know, a girl that came in. She was uh, Caucasian, of course, trained her for a, a position. Of course, she got the position, same position as me. Of course, she got paid more and they had some justification for that. I really didn't know what was going on at the time. Uh, I just knew I was frustrated and I was depressed. And so long story short, uh, I told my mom finally what was going on. She told me what to do. So I had to sue the company because they understood money. They, I, they do understand money. So like uh, Allie was saying, <clears throat> that's just one thing, right? So they turned around and did the same thing again, very shortly afterward. So I sued them again and I won again. And so... I agree totally with what Ali is saying. So this is what qualifies for me to ask this question. Um, in all of that, I had to learn. I had to ask myself some questions like, okay, so what do you want me to learn from this, Lord? And mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do about it now? And now that um, <clears throat> it's years later, I come back to saying, so why does this come back to me again? You know, uh, just in terms of me being attracted to like your book, Chocolate Drop. Because um, that is very attractive to me as far as traffic, not just in corporate America, but it's even in nonprofits. And like Ali was saying, you can see that like in the penal system. So even in places where we're uh, in a profession where we're supposed to care about people and take care of nurture, love people, teach, train, reform and all that, it's not really happening. And that that has. And so my question is this, with all of that said, um, what have you learned for yourself about yourself in this? 
So I learned how to advocate for myself, not just wait for someone else to advocate for me because someone can say, oh, I'm advocating you all day long, but then you don't see any actions behind it. I learned how to speak up, you know, professionally in a group that may not necessarily look like me. And I've learned to hold people accountable. And if we talk about it, you know, then I'm also going to go behind and document it because I feel like documentation is key. And you definitely have to put things in black and white because a pair of lips can say anything. Another thing I learned is at the young age that I am of only being 29 years old, I've encouraged other people, hey, don't just complain about your situation, but take action. And you take action by sharing your story. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony will allow you to break bondage and set um, and release limitations that other people place on you. Another thing is, you know, give them a run for their money. Like sometimes I feel like people threaten the company by saying, oh, I'm going to do this, this and this. But then they don't actually hold up to it. So I feel like it's another lip service. Another thing that I've done is, you know, finding my tribe like young African-American women that I can help. Like when I was in the admin role, I saw there was another admin that wanted to get into the professional space. So I knew I had connections with certain managers that were hiring in the area. So you know what I did? I in, I introduced them. I set up a coffee chat with the three of them, with the three of us, me, myself, and the supervisor. And I said, she's an admin just like me. She's looking to get into the professional bucket. Is there any advice you could give her? Is there any guidance or whatnot? And then once they build that report, then I saw myself out of the equation because it should be about them to collaborating and bridging the gap. And I feel a lot of people don't do that. Like if you have connections with someone, what is it hurting you by introducing someone to another person? You know what I mean? And I know exactly what you mean. Let me ask you this too. So what would you say to somebody who was scared to speak up because we got to pay our bills? Sorry. Yeah, we got to, we feel like we have to have our jobs. We feel like um, paying our bills is based on making that money that's taking our time. So we're exchanging that time for that money. So what would you say about that? How long are you going to be willing to trade your time and sacrifice your dreams and vision at the cost of someone else who doesn't really value you? Get it, girl. Oh, my gosh. Okay, get it, girl. Oh, Lord. Okay, what are you expecting that one? That's powerful. Say that question one more again. So how long are you going to trade your dreams and visions and and (laughs) – and your talents at the respect of someone else who doesn't value you and is never going to value you. Another thing I would say is we see a lot of, when we drive by a cemetery, we see a lot of dreams in the graveyard. And that's because those people died holding their dreams in their heart and they were afraid to experiment. They were afraid to take a leap of faith. They were afraid to speak up. But do you want to be that person whose dreams die with you? Or do you want to be living on this earth, making a legacy where years from now, your name is going to be spoken about for the things that you chose to do, like have courage. And I, and I feel like, okay, if someone fought for us, and when I say someone, we have the Harriet Tubman's, we have the Martin Luther King's, we have so many people that went before us and they lost their lives. So by them fighting for you, by you remaining quiet, it's doing them an injustice. And it's almost like they died in vain because you're not even, you're not even exercising your rights. And get it girl. (laughs) I just feel like it's just ridiculous. Even like with young people with this election, I said, if you're not going to vote to create change, whether your candidate wins or not, because I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, then shut the hell up. I'm just like, I'm not trying to be rude, but I just feel like you can't complain about something that you weren't a part of the solution or you weren't able to voice, you know, your opinion or concerns. And I feel like they're like, oh, all politics are, you know, all politicians are crooks. I agree to that in some instance, but you have a right to go to the polls and change it. Y'all remember the y'all remember in grade school we learned anytime the question is or uh, the sentence is or the answer is all is or none. Like that, don't don't check don't check that box, right? Because there's no such a thing, <laughs> no such a thing, right? So so cool. We do have a voice, and I love that you encourage people to speak up. Now tell us what is on the horizon for you next. What do you see for you next? 
I definitely want to um, use my book as a platform. So I'm going to show the cover of my book. And you definitely see how I like, even though the title may be controversial, I'm fighting for everyone from all backgrounds because I have people in the medical field, I have people in construction, I have people in finance on the cover, letting people know that diversity is what's winning and being inclusive is what's championing. And then I have a world in the background to let people know that this is a worldwide mission because systemic issues don't just happen in America, but they can happen all over. So my mission is to take this book and use it as a platform so I can begin to speak in different corporations and challenge them, okay, are you being inclusive and diverse? If so, how are you educating your employees? How are you going about, you know, sharing your insights? And I really want to get it in the school systems as well, because I feel like we have a job to influence young people young people while they're young because once they get in their teenage years they're they're trying to figure out you know their identity there's peer pressure and they're listening to any and everyone about who they are instead of knowing who they truly are internally and i definitely feel that if we don't like address certain issues whether from a young age all the way up to um, industries and professionally then we're only going to be regressing as a society and not moving forward so what's next for me i have this goal where i want to do 29 podcast interviews and i picked 29 because i turned 29 this year <laughs> and whether i'm talking about equality equity inclusion and diversity or if i'm talking about you know how i was bullied in you know high school and how you know i fell in love with someone during that part of darkness and people ask me who do you who did you fall in love with and i said i fell in love with myself because i saw myself for who i am and not for what other people projected on me and oh, had hold I on, hold on. that's what's up right there okay so that's where i really wanted to get to that's what's up when you hit that point right there and that's when you really begin to soar. You see that smile on the face, y'all? I'm just saying, <clears throat> y'all see I don't have a voice because I talk a lot and I love talking. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so I want to so hit this right here because this is a key to it right here. No matter where you are, like you said, this is a worldwide thing. It's not a not just a black and white thing, you know. It's something that is everywhere. And so I, I truly believe, like, one of the things we need to have in our educational system is you have to, you need to go to a whole other country before you're allowed to graduate because you need to see that the world is bigger than you and what you've seen or what you've experienced or what your, what mom and them has seen and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, and yeah, I can get real, what your mother has seen or your mom or your dad or your father have seen, but we need to get outside of ourselves so that we can see that. But getting back to this part, the main thing is falling in love with you. How do you get to that point? And like, um, Ali had brought up, you know, like this is, this is uh this is kind of like warfare mm -hmm. and to me the crux the crux of it was it was spiritual warfare for me because i needed to find out who exactly i am and my authority and what i need to do with that authority when i need to do it and how i need to do it and who i can do that with and then just found out how powerful i was but all of that happened in a setting that was not surrounded by people of my same color at all. Actually, I was only chocolate drop in the room, or, you know, or in the prayer meeting and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't mind it because I got so, I received so much love from that. And I mean, true love, not just a Tracy, I love you. And yeah, girl, I'm gonna pray for you. You know, or Hey, how you doing? I mean that um, every day, you know, I can, you can drive by my house anytime, you know, come on over for dinner. We'll, we'll, you know, so it was a it was a back and forth, give and take situation and not with just one or two people. But we were like surrounded by that. So so like my uh, my sons and my daughter, they came up in that environment, you know. And so I have to say it all stemmed from my love for Christ. When I really accepted that and I found out how much he loved me, then I found how much I could love me, how worthy I was. And so that right there began to teach me. This is not a, a fight against flesh and blood. Like it's not about a black and white thing. You know, like I'm fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so I began to remember that, look, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms and I'm above all of that. And yes. it really, really made me feel pumped up. But then it doesn't make me feel that way. I began to know that like deep down on the inside. And so 
I began to just pray that thing all the time. And so I felt like, you know, I got picked out to get picked on so that God can use me <laughs> uh, to find out who I am, my authority to use that and to encourage other people, especially our youth, to find out who they are. And, and, and so then no matter what situation or circumstance or anything that comes about, you can stand strong in your faith. You can stand strong in knowing who you are and say, hey, it don't matter what's going on around me. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. Like, this is not my home. I got a greater home that I'm going to, right? When I leave this place, it's not over. It's just another beginning. It's just a, a, a transition, right? That's right. Yeah. So my mom said, you know, but but for the grace of God every day. And and I, actually, Genesis, I encourage you to also see the people who only live in a bubble and not as part of, now I'm going to call it our beautiful diverse tribe, to, to, to think about how narrow their worlds and circles are in, 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 and actually feel sorry for them. Because on some level that... They were all of this. All of this is learned behavior. All of it. So that means that they were taught hate, and that means that hate was instilled in them as children. And so, and so, I'm not saying they're right on at all. I'm just saying that helping. So, so part of what I think using white privileges is to explain to white people who also have privilege but don't understand what they're doing in in on a deeper level. So what you're doing is actually poisoning to yourself. What you're doing is 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 spreading hate in 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 ways that love can make us all, you know, advance. And so and so I think if so my mother I think is more successful at this than I am because I tend I tend to go toward Joan um in <laughs> in my approach to things. So 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 and, and actually I think I think Karen's Karen's could be Jones if they really put their mind to it, right? So so um so I I'd like you to see that potential in people because it's possible that there are allies and you don't know it. And 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 if and I think we're only going to be successful if we go together. And so and so as much as um, you were siloed and, and exiled in a certain way. I, I wish I was, you know, across the lunchroom from you one day when, when I would be like, but why are you still in this position? Because there were, actually there was a young lady in an admin position who was making $27,000 a year and I wanted to hire her as our admin manager. So she was going to be making $60,000 a year, which is, you know, living wage as opposed to 27, not so much in New York. And they gave me a hard time. They're like, well, that's a $40,000 bump. I'm like, well, it's a, it's a, it's parity. We're, we're talking about parity in these, in these um, companies, percentage increases. That's, that, that, that's structural racism because if you're starting lower to begin with, then a percentage raise is really hurting you. Same thing with, um, with the income tax and all these things that are percentage increases are really not allowing for parity or reparations or anything of the sort to, to create equality. It's, it's lip service. So, so I think there's structural ways that we can say, oh, well, really, don't you just want to have a baseline and then opportunities for promotion? Why would we do percentage increases? It's really not equitable. And then all of a sudden, you've made a huge change in a company, and they may not even know it. I'm just saying sometimes I'm not I'm not saying the direct approach isn't sometimes necessary. And, 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 and clearly, I only know what I know, right, which will never be what you experience. So. All I'm saying is that I think that there's room for a uh, a whole spectrum of of ways of inserting ourselves into the process. And I agree. I agree. Well, ladies, I know that we're out of time. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, I'm I'm so excited that you guys were both able to join at the same time. And, you know, I want to encourage people, I always encourage people to collaborate with the people that you meet, uh, stay in touch, you know, and definitely uh, we've got work to do and always know that, you know what, you're not alone. If this is happening, you're not alone. Thank you for holding that up. Hold that steel too. I Can you hold it. it up a little higher so we can see? Okay. That, oh, nice. So tools and tips for 
initiatives for providing transitional care coordination, and it's on the website. So if, I don't know, I wasn't able to type in the chat, but if you can put um, www.acoha consulting for me, and then you can download this for free. Um, the paper bound ones are, are gone. And, um, and it's a handbook that was written by Jackie and I for um, helping people come home after incarceration. So it's got a lot of tips for case management and, and really just um, our way of paying it forward a little. That's beautiful. I'm definitely going to share that um, with one of my friends who just graduated, I think a year or two ago with her social worker degree. We have curriculum, we have training, we do mentoring, we have, um, we have a lot of uh, resources and, and experience. So, um, and we want to pay it forward. 